This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Last week, Google uh, did their annual conference, Google I.O. 2022, and they basically announced a few really exciting features that they're adding to the Google Play uh, ecosystem. I would say one, like in a nutshell, they basically called and raised everything that Apple did with uh, iOS 15. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. You guys know when uh, when TV shows do those uh, joint episodes, crossover episodes, like The Simpsons and Family Guy. So that's basically this episode because I am joined by alternative host, Jonathan Fishman. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, hello. Can I be The Simpsons? Yeah, you can be The Simpsons. I'll yes. allow it. All right, Jonathan, we have, uh, we've got some big changes that have happened in the industry that I think we should discuss. You want to kick us off? Yeah. Um, last week, Google uh, did their annual conference, Google I.O. 2022, and they uh, basically announced a few really exciting features uh, that they're adding uh, to the Google Play uh, ecosystem. I would say one, like in a nutshell, they basically called and raised uh, everything that Apple did with uh, iOS 15. I like the way you phrased it. Yeah, I think let's start off with uh, custom store listings, which have They've always existed. They've been a tool to kind of help you with localizations and really narrow down on your um, audiences within different regions. Now they've announced that you can have up to 50 custom store listings. Same idea as custom product pages where it's URL based. So you can put them with whatever flow and and kind of wherever you want to go, which is incredible. Obviously, the more tailored we can create messaging, the better, obviously. What's your take, Jonathan? Yeah, I think that uh, one... First of all, it's really funny that they did the 50. Like they, they thought It's about, a nicer number though than 35. 35 sounds so small now yeah, compared but they, to 50. They, they, they knew that they were doing 35. They say, I will do 50. It has no meaning, right? Because you don't need 50 custom store listings. Um, probably you can get a lot of value just from uh, starting to implement it with, you know, a handful or a dozen. Um, but I would say that it's kind of different because um, actually Google owns Google Ads. And right, Apple owns uh, Apple search ads and, and it's integrated with uh, CPPs. Yeah, but you don't get to scale on search ads the way you can scale with Google ads. That's the bottom line is, you know, Google ad network is you can spend your whole budget there and still, you know, get traffic. Apple search ads, there's a limit. There's a limit to how much growth is going to come from there. Exactly. And and I think that with Google ads, uh, and of course, they'll integrate the custom store listing with Google ads, even in the presentation uh, that they did on Google I.O., they uh, they showed like a screenshot and it says uh, targeted by Google ad campaign. Uh, it's still not out there for uh, developers. It's going to roll out soon, probably. But I 
What really uh, starts to pique my interest about that is how they're going to integrate it with UAC, which is a really important source for so, Android. I mean, I think the the big potential here is, you know, since 2020, basically, we haven't been able to analyze pure organics in Google because UAC mixes in with Explore and mixes in with Search. If you can create a custom store listing, you know, you're talking about the integrations with UAC, if you can create a specific page that targets search users all of a sudden, there might be the option to separate out the organic search and the paid search again, um, which is incredibly powerful for developers. And everybody's been missing that feature for a long time. For sure. So how do you think the developers or marketers should uh, should start uh, thinking about their first custom store listings? It's the same methodology as they've been uh, using on, on the iOS side with, with CPPs? Um, I mean, I think, look, overall, there's definitely the the goal is the same, right? Which is tailor your messaging and and create, um, you know, really, really strong funnels. First of all, I think on both sides, something that maybe developers aren't doing as much as they could is to also look at CPPs and custom store listings as a really strong way to measure your campaign performance, especially on the Apple side. Um, you know, CPPs, because you have a URL that you're actually able to see analytics for, you can start using that in your ad campaigns, you know, regardless of the creatives that you're using almost, just to be able to bring back the, the measurement side and understand how this campaign is performing further down. Um, for Google, you know, as they are working on their privacy changes and as that's going into place, it's also something important to keep in mind. But from the strategy side, you know, I think you do want to take a similar approach. Just make sure you're thinking about your audiences as individuals. We know that Google audiences aren't the same as Apple audiences. doesn't matter what the flow is that brings them in. They're different sources. They're different people. There's different demographics that build them up. Start really playing around. See what works. Do a small test to start. Create a couple CPPs, a couple custom store listings. This is going to confuse me for a long time. The CPP and the CSL, let's call it. CLS. CSL, custom store listings. CSL. CSL. It, it like probably DSL, means, but it, CSL. It probably means something horrible. It's like maybe a medical abbreviation. We should look this up yeah. <laughs> before we start using it. But yeah, I mean, I think really, you know, kind of start to play around. Um, the example that Google gave was if you're a recipe app, you know, and it's Thanksgiving time in America, create one that's turkey-based and it's a different holiday somewhere else. But I think even, you know, look at genders are always a good example, especially if you're a dating app, you want to target a different flow for males and females. And depending on what people are looking for, for gamers, you want to look at, you know, which type of gamer am I going after? If I'm an IP app, I want to create a custom store listing that's more centered around the IP. And then I want to create another one that's maybe more centered on the genre for users that I'm trying to pull in from competitive apps that don't share the IP. So start off small with these kinds of, you know, really concrete demographic differences and then start to iterate and grow from there and see what we can come up with. Awesome. So this is custom store listing, uh, a really exciting uh, addition to the Google Play side. Um, the second thing that they announced is it basically it's Live Ops. Live Ops existed in the Google Play Store. It was uh, out there for quite a lot of game developers, uh, but they really announced they're expanding it and it's taking the form of uh, something extremely similar to in-app events. Yeah, I mean, I think... First of all, if you have more than 100,000 uh, monthly active users, apply for the beta. For sure, don't wait if you can get in. Honestly, I don't really think there's any negatives to live ops. It's just powerful opportunity. Um, according to Google, it's uh, it's been leading to a 5% increase in day 28 monthly active users, 4% increase in revenue. Um, there's really no downside. It's definitely worth trying if you can. Yeah. 
And uh, so th the way this is going to, to work, um, for those of you who are less familiar with uh, in-app events on the iOS side, you can basically list uh, an event that's happening uh, within the app. It could be a competition, could be new content that you're featuring, um, could, be, could be some special content for a limited time. And it could also be offers, which is a new type of event that Google Play uh, announced there, which is any, any type of deal, any type of discount that you're offering for a limited time, uh, which is great. And um, one really great thing here is that we had some time to analyze the impact of in-app events on the iOS side because um, it's been out there and, and adopted by, um, I would say, around a third to a half of all top 100 developers in each category. That's one analysis that we did uh, uh, recently. And, um, and basically the impact on both search, because these events get, get you indexed, and on the Google Play side, for sure, they're going to index uh, all the text elements within uh, your in-app events, the title, the description. So they come up uh, for specific keywords uh, on search, and it gets featured a lot. On the Google Play side, there's an event tab that is completely dedicated to events. Yeah, this actually, I mean, Google straight out said it. If you're using live ops, there's a ton of different featuring placements that you're able to get just by having these ops. You can show up in pretty much every flow on the Play Store by using these uh, live op events, which is incredibly powerful. And I think one thing that is, is worth thinking about as well is Google are, are starting to really roll out more with deep linking and understanding how to work with that. For live ops specifically, you can actually create, you know, you put a deep link into a specific page within your app. So instead of sending users to a default flow, you can actually customize the live op flow from, you know, seeing that event and taking users into where it's actually relevant, which... Uh, just brings us closer to the dream of web, which is tailored flows, customized per users and what brings them in. Amazing. So yeah, so this is out and it's uh, in, like it's the second phase of the beta. It's kind of uh, bigger and every large uh, developer can apply as long as you have a great product because they're going to review the product itself. And uh, as you said, 100,000 MAUs, yeah. that's the... Global MAUs, 100,000. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and apply. Um you can uh, Google it and find uh, the application form. Another thing that they announced was, uh, and, and this has been rolling out for a couple of weeks kind of quietly, new changes to Google uh, store listing experiments and the way that you set up uh, a test. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's there's some pros and cons to to what's happening here. First of all, the biggest pro for me is there's more transparency now in experiments. So until now, there's been this metric called scale installs, which is, it's, it's an imaginary metric. It's not something you should ever really take seriously because what happened until now was basically you didn't know how many people saw each page. You didn't know how many, you know, you didn't have the metrics to understand how many people installed. What you saw was this projection of, you know, if I send 10% of my users into uh, an experimental page, then scaled installs would be, you know, whatever rate those 10% of users were installing we multiply that by 10 to see what it would be with 100%. Now, the reason this metric doesn't work and that process doesn't work, we've seen it. You've probably seen it in your UA campaigns as well. The second you scale an audience, your numbers change. So whatever a 10% of your audience was showing would never be the same as if 100% of your audiences were seeing it. So if you're using this metric of scaled installs, it's an imaginary metric. It doesn't mean anything in real life. Now Google are actually giving you the numbers, how many samples are coming in, how many installs you're receiving, which means... There's room to work with here. There's we can create, you know, if we're if we're using the right data science tools, we can create really smart experiments and and come with numbers that 
we can use and and take insights with that we can rely on. Yeah, I think, first of all, I have to say that for me, it's kind of surprising that Google uh, went this way because uh, in statistics, in the world of A-B testing, there's always uh, kind of a war or an argument between the Bayesian camp of using Bayesian statistics uh, and using frequentist uh, statistics that is uh, basically the more traditional way to A-B test. And Google has, in a lot of its products, uh, basically, they, they came forward and... and they were and, like the innovators of Bayesian. They yeah, were like the... I think that in Google Optimize, which is their flagship uh, optimization product for the web, uh, they only do Bayesian statistics now. They basically, they went out and had an argument that using frequentist uh, methods, which is the what we know, you know, the, the confidence uh, level and the minimum detectable effect and calculating a sample size beforehand and, and that methodology, and then running a t-test, of course, after you collect enough uh, data. They said that it's just not really a good method for A-B testing uh, digital experiences for many different reasons. But here, they basically decided that uh, in Google Experiments, you can now set up, uh, you can choose your confidence, uh, your, your desired confidence level, uh, how accurate you want the test to be. And you can configure the minimum detectable effect, which is, in simple words, basically just how sensitive you want the test to be. Uh, that if there's a difference, how small the difference between the performance of each variation should be uh, that the test should detect. It's basically another configuration that uh, controls how accurate or sensitive the test. Uh, the higher the minimum detectable effect, uh, the less sensitive the test and the less sample size you would need. And then basically what, what they did on the, the user experience of using the, the Google Play uh, experiments dashboard is that you can basically control how big the sample that you would need to conclude the test. So, I mean, I think this is where one of the dangers really comes in, because at the end of the day, your test is only as good as, as, as the data that you put into it, right? Which is, you know, we've seen it before. There are some people who will say, look, I need to finish this test in a day. So I'm sending... 2,000 users today and I'm taking the results and they end up really damaging their performance metrics because it wasn't a representative sample. One day does not tell you what your overall audience is like. You know, a user who comes in on Sunday is not the same need from a user who's coming in on Wednesday midweek. So from this side, I think this is where the danger comes in. If you're not really somebody who understands the data science side and the statistical side, you run the risk of setting an experiment that's not going to be valid or true to form once you go live. And obviously, you know, you're, you're affecting your organic traffic is, is the most valuable traffic you have. If you're creating a change that you shouldn't have created, it's going to be incredibly damaging. And we don't want that to happen. So I think in general, the idea of adding more transparency and control is amazing. And that's what we want to see happening because eventually it will lead to better tests and better decisions. Right now, you know, if you go into the platform... I think it's very easy to make mistakes in your setup based on, you know, your desired outcome rather than the validity of the data that's coming in. And that's where I think developers need to be really cautious and make sure that they're working with strong data science and people who understand testing to be able to actually get results that we can rely on. Yeah, it's it's kind of tempting also for a marketer to get these tools. And basically, it's, it's just really tempting to configure everything to lead to a really low sample size to a test that would be concluded in a couple of days, not even a week. And then you can go uh, into the rhythm of just running a lot of meaningless tests to satisfy some, I don't know, some wrong KPI that some some person set up. On, and I call it a kind of a fake testing culture when they're just running a lot of tests without, um, you know, they're trying to optimize the number of tests that they're running and other quality. Yeah, 
like that. Yeah, that's true. So it's a really tempting uh, capability to put on the hands of marketers that, that are working in that kind of environment. You know that phrase, work uh, work smarter, not harder, my oh, life yeah. motto. So I feel like test smarter, not more. <laughs> exactly. Lower the test frequency as long as you're creating tests that really are meaningful and that you can learn from. Exactly. But, but um, you know, we just talked this morning about this and, and we have our uh, data scientist working uh, across us right now. Uh, We'd th- bring him in here, but it's it's difficult to, for English speakers to understand what what Gal is saying. He's yeah. uh, he's too smart for us. Yeah, but 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 I think, and, and it's really early days here that uh, given this added flexibility w- and using uh, data science expertise, uh, you can really have the result of having way more accurate tests on Google experiments yeah. if they're set up correctly. Yeah, agreed. Uh, let's let's talk about privacy for a minute, because that's what everyone in this world talks about. So, I mean, there's nothing new here. We know um, privacy sandbox side Google announced that they're going through similar changes to Apple, but they're doing it in a much more slow, data-driven, experiment-driven way. Um, so, you know, there's still nothing major that needs to be focused on this second. Nothing is going to change overnight. One thing, though, that is being added that developers should make sure they're aware of is similar to an Apple where you have the data section on your store listing on your uh, product page in Apple that explains how, what data is collected and how it's used. Google are also adding this into store listing pages, an area that explains what data each app is collecting, what it's sharing, how it's being used. Look, we know this is not something users are super sensitive to. So we've run tests, you know, quite a few tests on Apple of changing certain levels of understanding how much this bothers them. The answer is it doesn't bother them. Most developers don't even, most uh, users don't even look at it. So it's it's not something you should obsess over, but you need to make sure that you fill in your privacy form for Google by July 20th. Otherwise, you will lose your store listing uh, presence until you get it done. So do fill out that form. My advice is just be really honest about how you're using the data. Don't worry too much about optimizing it for, you know, what you're afraid users might see. Just say how you're using it. Fill out the form. It should be fine. For sure. Cool. So we need to wrap up in like a couple of minutes, but... Uh... Another thing that caught my attention is that we talked this morning was uh, thinking about it as a revolution. What do you, what do you think about it? Because Apple started a revolution of basically, uh, we call it splitting the app stores in two for and really tailoring the experience for paid audiences, organic audience, and really breaking it down to really different uh, segments of, uh, of users. So uh, what, what do you think about this, uh, this announcement and how it relates to that uh, sure. revolution? So, yeah, I mean, Apple really was a revolution. I mean, it was so much a revolution, and this is true. Jonathan can validate that my water broke the day Apple announced the That's changes true. to iOS 15. I went into early labor because it was such a revolution. Look, this announcement is not a new revolution. It's not something that's putting anyone in a panic. It's the next step of the revolution. It's taking the concepts from iOS 15 and, and leveling it up a bit and doing something that, you know, first of all, we have a lot of data to really analyze and understand a bit more of a measured approach and, and kind of learning. And, and we as developers and as the growth community have a lot of learnings to take with us from iOS 15 that we can now implement here. So I would just say it's kind of like the we're in that stabilization period of the revolution where things are still revoluting. What would be what would be the word there? But it's not, you know, this shouldn't be causing panic. It's, it's honestly, for me, it's just more excitement. It's just more powerful tools falling into our hands that we can start working with to continue the revolution of making the app stores a world that's, that's really optimizable and that you can start to really see how this is scalable and will lead to stronger performance metrics across the board. 
Yeah, and, and what's really nice about it for teams that have been uh, really leveraging and leaning into everything that Apple announced on iOS 15 and, and started releasing shortly after is that uh, the methodologies are similar. It's a different audience, it's a different ecosystem, but the methodologies are similar. So for those teams that have these methodologies in place and are really ramping them up, uh, they're going to enjoy that value uh, really soon because um, on, the, on the iOS side, we saw that I saw studies and analysis that for teams that saw millions of dollars of, of value generated by uh, leveraging in-app events correctly. Uh, I saw uplifts on custom product pages that are really significant, both on search ads and on different networks such as Iron Source. So I'm really confident that there's, you know, millions of dollars to uh, of value to make here by uh, leaning into these changes and, and uh, adopting them. Wait, but Jonathan, what's your favorite flavor pancake? Oh, nobody. We don't have any guests uh, to ask besides us. Uh, but I don't know. I don't you, know this about you. you. Ever We've known say, each other for five years. We've never spoken about pancakes. Um, did you ever say what was your uh, favorite flavor on one of the episodes? I don't think I have. I don't think I have, but I could. Uh, mine is uh, kind of weird. Go. Tell me. I don't want to say. You have to say it. Uh, it's um, it's like uh, just lemon. It's Lemon pancakes? No, no. The, the pancakes are normal, okay? And you just, like, take a half a lemon, squeeze it. I don't want to hear this. The... This is a, It's an abomination. Listen, no, it's, it's really I'm good. I'm sorry. This is offensive. You just squeeze half a lemon on top of the pancake and put, like, uh, a sizable chunk of butter on, on the pancake, and it's really, really good. Wow, I'm repulsed. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't say. know what to say. You shouldn't have said. This was a terrible thing I've learned about what, you. What do you like? Okay, I have two favorite types of pancakes. They're similar, okay? I like chocolate and fruit on my pancakes. So one is a Nutella banana. That is a classic combination. The other is a white chocolate, blueberry. Also very, very good. Nice. Much better than lemon. Don't do that. Nice. Don't tell people No, this. lemon, lemon is, is, is a good thing. It grows on you. I disagree. It's what happens when you start uh, drinking. This is why you guys have to optimize your custom store listings because you have freaks like Jonathan who has lemon on his pancakes. I mean, my God, that yes. requires a custom... That's an audience to look at. I don't know what to make of that. I'm a one-man audience. <laughs> yes. Cool. So um, we need to wrap up. Uh, but this was a really short uh, episode uh, that we hope that you enjoyed just um, on your way to work, commuting, whatever you're doing, uh, doing dishes, whatever people do when they listen to podcasts. Uh, and, um, and that it got you up to speed with everything that Google announced so you can share it with your team and be the smartest person um, in your company. Happy optimizing. See ya. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Stormaven, thanks for listening.